Hello and welcome to the December 6th management articles of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. Thanks for joining us at Angus Beef Bulletin Audio. I'm Heather Lassen, Special Projects Editor. If you have any questions or comments, please send us a note at abbeditorial at angus.org. The first article is by Carla H. Wilkie, University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Potential effects of a long, hard drought on the subsequent calving season. Get cows ready for spring calving during winter. Drought across the Great Plains has greatly reduced the supply of grass available this grazing season. While many cows went to market to save grass for a core herd, those cows that remain may have had access to limited dry pastures. Grass in many areas appeared dormant as early as July. Therefore, not only was quantity limiting, but quality may have been limiting as well. Normally, in a year with adequate rainfall, cows are able to replenish liver stores of vitamins and minerals they may need to use during the winter. Additionally, they may be able to improve body condition either during summer grazing or at least in the fall after weaning if they have an opportunity to graze forages that were deferred during the growing season. In a drought, and especially the second year of a drought, reserve forages are likely unavailable and summer grazing may have been limited. This could result in bred cows in a body condition score of 4 or less on a 1 to 9 scale, when a 5 or 6 would be optimal, and liver stores of minerals and vitamins lower than normal. There are several potential problems for thin cows in this drought scenario. One concern is that if cows are forced to use body reserves throughout the winter due to harsh weather and or limited feed reserves, they are in danger of becoming weak, possibly too weak to be mobile. Additionally, as a thin cow uses reserves to maintain herself rather than put those reserves into the development of the fetus, she is at risk of giving birth to a small, weak calf that will struggle in the adverse weather conditions generally associated with spring calving. Colostrum is the first meal a newborn calf receives. This is a very important meal because it is rich in immunoglobulins, vitamin A, protein, and fat, all of which are instrumental in building immunity and giving the calf a nutrient-dense meal, crucial for a healthy start. These nutrients all drop to a fraction of the values found in colostrum within 48 hours of milk production, so it is extremely important the colostrum be high quality and the calf be strong enough to stand and consume it shortly after birth. Research has shown cows in a body condition score of 4 have decreased immunoglobulin concentration compared to cows in a body condition score of 5 or 6. Vitamin A, readily available in green grass, is stored in the liver and can be pulled from the liver to produce colostrum, which starts about 5 weeks prior to calving. Vitamin A is also very important for immunity in the calf. However, not all the needed vitamin A comes from the liver. The diet must provide vitamin A as well. Therefore, if the grass was low in vitamin A due to drought conditions, and the cows are currently on low-quality harvested feeds, the colostrum is at risk of being low in vitamin A. Cows in a body condition score of 4 at calving and faced with the nutrient demands of lactation may struggle to rebreed. This is especially true of first and second calf cows who still have to allocate nutrients for growth. If cows have access to green grass shortly after calving and before the breeding season begins, they have a better chance of rebreeding early enough to maintain a 365-day calving interval. However, harvested feed reserves may be limited, and if drought conditions persist, 
cows may need additional feed resources to rebreed. Drought can have far-reaching implications, more so than just reduced grazing capacity for cattle production. Producers who have questions about strategically utilizing feed resources to achieve optimal cow performance should contact their local University of Nebraska Beef Extension team member. As an editor's note, Carla H. Wilkie is a cow-calf systems and stalker management specialist at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. For the next article, we have Bud Box or Tub System, which is best for handling cattle? A Bud Box uses the natural movement instincts of cattle. This article is by Heather Smith Thomas. Producers often debate what type of facility works best when processing cattle. Jordan Thomas, beef cow-calf specialist at the University of Missouri, has worked cattle through many different facilities around the country and says stockmanship is equally important, if not more important, than facility design. But facilities should be constructed with behavioral tendencies in mind. We want cattle to flow efficiently through a facility, to move forward due to their behavioral instincts instead of having to be pushed forward by continuous pressure, says Thomas. The best facilities allow cattle to move in response to where the handler places himself or herself. I am partial to bud box systems because they help us focus on our own position to influence the animals and how we apply and release pressure. Designed by Bud Williams, the bud box is probably the simplest, most effective, and least expensive facility when utilized properly. It's a simple rectangle. Cattle enter through a gate come to the end of the box, turn around, and head back the way they came. The person who opened the gate merely moves a couple steps so the cattle want to go past him or her and into the adjacent exit, which puts them into the scale or squeeze chute or onto a truck or trailer. Cattle move of their own accord rather than being pushed. Whit Hibbard, a Montana rancher who teaches Bud Williams stockmanship methods, says when you put animals into a bud box and take the proper position, They figure out they can't go any farther, so they turn around, come back, and go where you want them to go. They can't do that in a tub. In a tub system, you can't make your idea to go through the tub their idea. By contrast, in a bud box, you get this all-important mind change, explains Hibbard. Due to its design, you can capitalize on four natural tendencies of prey animals. One, they want to see the source of pressure. They want to turn and look at it. When they go into the bud box and you come in behind them and close the gate, they turn to look at you. Second, the animal wants to move away from the pressure. Third, they want to keep the source of pressure in sight. They'd rather come back past us to get away than go away from us and turn their back to us, he says. Fourth, when you go into a bud box and pressure them against the back, they want to turn around, says Hibbard. They see you, the source of pressure, and want to come around you. When they do, they see the opening where you want them to go. Joel Hamm, a rancher near Big Lake, Texas, has been utilizing Bud Williams' principles for many years. He says the main thing to understand is the box does not make cattle work better. It allows the handler to be in a better position to allow the animal to do what it wants to do, Hamm observes. Many people who don't understand stockmanship want an elaborate facility and new technology, thinking they will solve their problems. They still think they have to force and push cattle. Bud's whole concept was to fix it up so that what you want the cattle to do is what the cattle want to do, Ham says. If cattle want to go in the chute, you will have very little backing up and better flow. 
The reason cattle balk or back up is because they don't want to go in. They were forced. Their mind is not going forward. We only had their body going forward. We need to work with their minds, says Ham. The bud box by itself does not do anything. It allows you to do something better. Ham recalls using tubs that don't allow for proper positioning to allow cattle to flow naturally. Tubs are not ideal, he says, because they have solid sides. The cattle can't see you and your position to react properly. It separates the cattle from the people. Cattle do not like solid sides. It makes them nervous, says Ham. They are prey animals and want to be able to see what's around them. Ham has one solid piece of corral left on his ranch. To go out the gate, cattle have to pass by this solid fence. Ham plans to remove it, but has left it there so he can take videos to show what happens with a solid fence. When he lets cattle out the gate, even after they've been worked, they are reluctant to go out. When he takes them out at the other end of the corral, he simply opens a gate, goes out in front of them, and they come right out. When they have to go out the gate with a solid fence on the side, they stop and ball up at the gate, he describes. They finally go out, almost single file, as far away from the solid fence as they can. I brought in truckloads of cattle and put them in that big lot and watched them walk the fence the first day or so. They walk into every corner but that one. They cut across it. When you cram cattle into something like a tub that is solid all around them, I think it puts a lot of mental stress on them. As an editor's note for this article, Heather Smith-Thomas is a freelance writer and cattlewoman from Salmon, Idaho. For our third article, are all heifers born twin to a bull free martins? Heifers born a co-twin to a bull often show masculine characteristics and prove to be infertile, but not always. This article is by Heather Smith-Thomas. Twins are fairly common in some family lines of cattle. If one is a bull and the other is a heifer, often the heifer is a free martin, a female with an improperly developed reproductive tract, incapable of becoming pregnant. Colin Palmer, veterinarian and associate professor at the University of Saskatchewan, says most female calves born as a co-twin to a bull calf are free martins, but not all. About 85% to 90% are free martins, he explains. The free martin heifer is a result of shared exposure to hormones from the male and female calf in the uterus early in pregnancy, around 30 days of gestation. At that time, the two placentas that surround and support the male and female calf can become closely connected or fused, allowing exchange of cells and hormones, he says. About that same time, some of the organs are starting to develop, including determination of sex. This becomes complete at about six weeks of pregnancy. This fusion of placentas and the sharing of blood supplies allows some exchange of cells and hormones, creating variability in how the sex organs develop, he explains. The abnormality in the chromosomes, the mix of male and female chromosomes, is one reason a free martin heifer may not look very feminine. As she gets past weaning age and starts to develop, she often looks more masculine, more thick and solid, like a young bull or a steer. These heifers sometimes have masculine behavior as well and are more likely to mount other cattle. They don't have a penis and can't breed, but in their tiny ovaries, they might have what almost looks like testicular tissue, says Palmer. They are probably producing more male hormones than a normal heifer, and the extra testosterone leads to bullish behavior. The reproductive tract in these heifers is abnormal, even externally, Palmer says. In a normal yearling heifer, there is usually about three inches between the top of the vulva and the anus, and in a free martin, these are closer together. The vulva is tiny and the bottom part is often tipped up, 
with a large tuft of hair at that location. Before DNA testing, to determine whether a heifer is a free marten or normal, required waiting until the heifer was a little older or bigger. Then the producer or veterinarian could probe the vagina with a tube to see if it was normal or short in comparison with herd mates of similar age. Having a veterinarian palpate the animal to determine if the reproductive tract is normal is another common way to determine if an animal is a free marten. Today, it's easier to use a DNA test. The free marten is a type of chimera, which in this case means she has both XX, female chromosome makeup, as well as XY chromosome makeup in her blood and gonadal cells, Palmer says. Chimeric conditions vary. Not every cell type in the body will express the chimeric genotype. That's why a DNA lab will likely require a whole blood sample, he says. A hair sample may not be adequate for this purpose. If it's a nice heifer, especially a purebred, the owner might want to check to see whether she is normal. He says up to 15% of co-twin heifers are normal. If she is normal, there's no reason not to keep her as a cow. What about the bull calf? According to Palmer, there is one report to indicate testicular function of bull calves born as co-twins may not be fully normal. Aware of the report, Palmer has followed the performance of bulls born at the university as co-twins to see how they did. I never published our results, but we followed them after they were sold and checked on them later, and they were all normal as breeding bulls, says Palmer. Editor's note, Heather Smith-Thomas is a freelance writer and cattlewoman from Salmon, Idaho. Thanks for joining us on Angus Beef Bulletin Audio. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please drop us a line at abbeditorial at angus.org.